0: Morning, everyone. So last week, uh, as some of the, uh, the parables dealing with duties in the kingdom, we were talking about uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and specifically Luke chapter 10. And um, kind of squeezed on time a little bit. Uh, So I'm going to kind of move along pretty quick this morning. Uh, I want to kind of sum up the the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then there's two other parables we're going to try to look at this morning. And then uh, someone else will be up uh, next week to uh, uh, continue with uh, the lessons. I don't recall which specific uh, parables will be taught, but uh, uh, anyway, that will happen next week. So we know, uh, of course in our study that in the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, he he had far-reaching demands of the law, specifically in terms of the Good Samaritan. You know, he often taught that love your neighbor as yourself was was something that was required that we had to do. Uh, For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it doesn't just stop with the neighbor, but he also tells us we have to love our enemies. And sometimes, of course, that's very, very difficult to do. So back to the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the lawyer uh, who proposed the question was really asking, where do you draw the line? Uh, what, what he was asking basically to, to Jesus is if love had some sort of limit you know, that, that you could stop at. And, of course, what he was, in effect, doing was he's trying to justify himself, uh, his own limited actions towards others. And if he could get Jesus to agree to that, and, of course, that would, uh, would uh, get him to agree that he had fulfilled the law, then, then that would sort of justify itself. But Jesus, of course, is the master teacher, very, very skillful, knows exactly what's going on. And he just basically tears apart every defense that this so-called teacher of the law had. And, and of course, we mentioned last week that Jesus used in these three people that are in, in this, the, the parable, uh, a, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, rather than using, for instance, a priest, a Levite, and a Jew. Uh, instead, what he did was he he. he he chose the lowest of the lows as the third person who, in effect, becomes the hero of the story, who, who actually is the person who has goodness and has kindness and, and compassion. And, and then also for the man that was attacked, I didn't even I didn't get to this last week, and we, we could expand on a little bit, but we don't know anything about that gentleman. Uh, we don't know if he was a rich man. Uh, a poor man, uh, some kind of merchant, uh, uh, in any sort of capacity, would he be able to to uh, kind of uh, repay the kindness that was was shown to him? We don't know that. What we do know about though is the kindness of the Samaritan, and what what the kindness of the Samaritan represents is kind of a one-way street. He's he's just giving kindness, and he's not expecting any 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 payback for that, and so by showing the Samaritan as as the one who actually shows love and kindness, what he does is he puts this man who proposed the question, this so-called lawyer, in a defensive situation, and eventually he has to acknowledge that that this Samaritan is a good man that he 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 demonstrates goodness and he His goodness exceeds that of the priest and the Levite who who have some elevated sort of position in their their culture there. And it's a timeless parable. Like I said last week, I think you could go to any street corner, stop people randomly, ask them to name a parable of Jesus that's, that's recorded in the New Testament. You would hear others, but predominantly I think everybody knows the Good Samaritan. When you use the term Good Samaritan out in the world, they know what that means don't they? So you, you can substitute anything you want to, the nationalities that we have today, occupations, races, uh, the, the outcome's the same. It's still the same. The application's still the same. And it, it's really an indictment against anyone who's ever tried to put up some kind of protective barrier against someone else uh, to keep from having to interact with someone else. And, and kind of sheltering their life away from uh, the people who are in need and the people who need kindness and compassion. You know, in one way, Jesus is the good Samaritan we are the one in the ditch. Mm-hmm. A lot of people we think are real religious, they, they so wrapped up in their cells so many times they don't show it. So we got to remember it ain't other people that can help us or save us. Mm-hmm. It's only Jesus. Correct. Good point, Mike. But we, we need to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, and that's a command that reaches out beyond just our close circle of friends and our family, our neighbors. That's very, very broad, very, very encompassing. It's a call to show mercy. It's a, it's a call to show mercy to unfortunate people. And if we just have to open our eyes and we see unfortunate people in so many different places, don't we? It's a cry to, at a higher level, to the affluent nations, the United States of America. We're very affluent. The the least of us is so much richer than so many people in the world today. And so much suffering. And I, I worry, you know, I worry if... That that as a nation we're praying you know for our leadership and what we're seeing going on in the nation but but are we not somewhat responsible for some of this Lord has richly rich, richly richly blessed us and so many places in the world are, are are desperately in need but we continue to prosper and we we continue to live in an affluent affluent sort of way I'll I'll, I'll mention something real quick just as a sidebar comes to mind like. Why do we need to go to Mars? Why do we need to send men to Mars? Why do we need to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to do that when we've got hungry people in the world? And I hope I don't offend the technically-minded people. I'm an engineer, too. So, you know, I hope engineers in the room, I'm sorry if I interfere, you know, kind of offended you a little bit, but we don't need to do that. We are not accomplishing anything. What we need to do is to take care of our fellow men, our neighbors. Our neighbors. So um, Jesus gives this lawyer some parting words to sum it up. He says, go and do likewise. Once the lawyer was finally in the position where he had to, you know, he had to say what he had to say and to admit it then Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. I want to read Romans 12:19 through 21, and then we're going to move on to the next parable I want to talk about. Uh, Romans 19, I'm sorry, 12:19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, "It is mine to avenge; I will repay," says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I want to move on to another parable. This is the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. It's in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. We don't have time to read that, uh, but it is a, it is one of the parables that if, if you're studied, then you, you have some familiarity with it. It's also known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And again, it's one of the... Uh, the what we call the kingdom parables. Uh, but this one doesn't end with, with this phrase that we just mentioned, go and do likewise. The parable follows a question that Peter asked in Matthew chapter 19 verse 27. We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? And Jesus follows that question in verses 28 and 29 and 30 with some discussion about all all the the many spiritual blessings uh, which we as his followers receive. And then he ends that teaching right there on this statement. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then from that point, he kind of launches into this parable that we're we're focusing on here. So it's it's laborers in the vineyard, vineyard. And for the sake of time, just let me very briefly just mention a few things uh, generally, grapes are picked in the month of September over in that part of the world. Uh, and in September, the period from sunrise to sunset is pretty much 12 hours, 6 a.m. So, or so to 6 p.m. So it's, if, you, if you factor in things like you know meals and breaks and things like that, generally the workday is about 10 hours long. And so a reasonable sum of money that would be paid um, for that, that day's labor is a, is a denarius. And so what would happen is these laborers would congregate kind of in the center of the city starting about 5 a.m. hoping to get work, hoping for somebody to come along who would hire them and get work. It's not like us where we go down to some plant or some, some place and get a job and then we have a steady job, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, and you know we can budget, and so on and so forth. They had no steady employment. They're, they were fully dependent upon that person showing up and hiring them, more so than the employer was on them. So it's a very different world that they lived in compared to the world we live in. So those who had ambition, of course, are going to show up early. They're going to be there. They're going to work hard. And, and they're going to be hoped, hoping to retire, be, re, you know, rehired again the, the next day or, or maybe even on a permanent basis if that was possible. We had a over in Georgia before we moved here to Alabama a few years back, uh, one of the members of, of our congregation had a little company where he laid tile over in the Atlanta area. And um, um, he couldn't keep work. But there was a place he could go to uh, over in the Marietta area. I'm sorry, it wasn't Marietta, it'd be on the other side. I uh, can't think of the little area it is. But anyway, northeast Atlanta, where there would be people there that he could hire. And over time, there would be several that were very good that would always be there that were steady. And so he would leave out to go to one of his jobs. He, he, would, he laid all the tile for um, Wendy's restaurants. So when they're building a Wendy's restaurant somewhere off another town, he, him and his crew go down there and lay all the tile inside inside the building there. Uh, and that, I thought about that. These were people that were, I don't want to say desperate, but they needed steady employment. And I want to elaborate on it. You can kind of put two and two together there. But they, they needed employment. They needed to support their families but for other circumstances, this was all they could do, was go there and be there and be picked up. And so I've thought about that, that fits so much to what we're talking about here, but by providing the employment, the landowner is showing a measure of kindness. Yeah, he has a need, he has something that needs to get accomplished, but he's, he's, he's using that need to help someone. So in this parable, the first group that's hired is promised a denarius uh, for the whole day's work, but the the rest of them that are hired are only promised what is right, and so they place themselves basically at the mercy of the of the uh, the landowner. If it's later in the day when they get hired, they they're at his mercy as to what he's going to pay them. Where the guys that got hired at the beginning of the day get a denarius, and so. Uh, maybe we could expand on that a little bit. Maybe this particular employer in this example, this, this landowner, uh, um, maybe he had a reputation for, for doing that, for doing what is right. There's a lesson learned there as well. There's two sides to it, the employee and the employer. And we we'll both have, have to do what's right depending on your, your, your position. So, also a sidebar to it as well. Uh, in that culture, those workers were allowed to eat whatever they they wanted to through the day. You know, so that in in that day and time, that was probably pretty significant to them. Uh, so they could eat all the grapes they wanted to through the day. Uh, so the need came up for even more laborers as the work progresses. So he, he's he's got the he's got this vineyard. And he, he knows when the grapes need to be picked. And I don't know a lot about raising grapes or anything, but I do know that there's a, a real narrow window for picking them, like a, a two-day window. And if you miss that window, they, the sugar content's higher in it, and that consequently affects how they're processed. Um, so if the harvest day happens to fall on a Friday, there's not going to be any work permitted on the Sabbath. And and so that harvest is very critical, and so you you assess the amount of labor that's needed, and and you make sure that you fill that need. And so he does all that he can to hire the hire enough laborers to finish the job. So we need that as kind of the backstory here to what what we're going to talk about. This this employer he's kind of the dominant figure in the parable. He he's the one who goes to the marketplace. He hires the workers. He uh, addresses those workers who. Once they feel like they've been wronged and he's in control of the situation from the beginning to the end and he is the one to whom the kingdom of heaven is compared in the opening sentence of this parable. And of course what eventually happens here is, is uh, the ones that have worked all day for one denarius, once they learn that those who work say half a day or less for a denarius are jealous and greedy and mad. And so that's part of the lesson that we glean out from this, this parable. Uh, um, like I said, uh, uh, there are many people today that are in a situation where they have to earn their living like this. And and so we can't really api- apply our logic for us who, say, are gainfully employed uh, with companies, you know, to this. We have to look at, at, at the working patterns of Israel, biblical Israel. And so here we are in the late afternoon, and there's still some waiting to get employed. And here's this, this man that owns this vineyard, and he needs his... his the the harvest to get finished. And so uh, even for one or two hours of work, they're glad to do that. There was, uh, I think there was uh, another uh, denomination of coin that I'm thinking about. Uh, Pondian? Pondian? Does that ring a bell with someone? P-O-N-D-I? Ion, it basically it's one twelfth of a denarius, so that was what they would get paid per hour. You know, if you kind of do the math a little bit there. Um, but anyway, that in, it, in, in its own way demonstrates faithfulness and dedication and dependability. They're there just they won't work. They need work, and they're still there even in the late afternoon if they can just get one or two hours of work. And so, typically, they're paid at the end of the day. Uh, go back to Leviticus 19, 13. Uh, the, the employers were bound by Scripture to not hold back, paying uh, wages uh, or holding the wages back overnight. They were, they were required to pay at the end of the day. And, and they're not to take advantage of a worker who was poor and needy, Deuteronomy 24:15. And so we're in the situation where these men literally ate if they worked. And to not pay them would deprive them and their families of food. I'm wondering sometimes if that wouldn't do all of us some good, wouldn't it? The whole country. (laughs) If we were put in that situation, we may be facing that situation sooner than we think. If we keep going down this path that, that, that we're on. So the landowner is a man of his word. He he instructs his foreman to pay all the men, and and from those who are hired in the morning to those who are hired, you know, later in the day. And it's quite a surprise when those who are hired in the afternoon receive as as their pay a whole denarius, a whole day's work for only a partial day. And and that, of course they're happy with that. Anybody would be. Uh, they're joyful. They're grat- They're filled with gratitude. Um, and, and they know this man is a generous man because he's demonstrated it to them, and that's something that's part of the lesson we need to again glean out of this. As people in a position who are paying other people, they need that. They need that impression on them. They need to see the goodness in us. A um, sidebar of this comes to mind. I uh, worked for three M. Some of you may be aware there's been some layoffs out there. Probably be some more. Um, Unfortunately, one of those who got laid off was my supervisor. He's a deacon at Beltline. And I've heard numerous people, not, not just my impression, I mean, I've heard people not in the church say, this is the goodest man they've ever been around. That he, his Christianity... It's fully on display, and I saw. I've seen it myself. That's what. That's what we desire. That's what all of us should cherish. Is for for the world to have that impression from our lives. So that's kind of what what we're kind of gleaning out of this this uh, parable as well. So. Uh, um. The workers who are hired though at dawn, a little different, isn't it? They maybe they think they're going to get more, but they received just what they agreed to. And what's the, what's the natural human reaction to that? That wasn't fair. I've been wronged. Yeah, you know this this man has has taken advantage of me. Uh, they're angry about it. They they list out their their. Their grievances, they say, you know, we worked all day, we worked through the heat of the day, um, and we only received this while the others didn't do what we did, and they got the same thing we got, and on and on and on. And we hear that, don't we? And so the lesson we take away from that is is this, how a Christian is to conduct themselves in their work. That's another lesson there. No. the la- the landowner he's the master in this situation and another another lesson does he get all mad blow up no yeah he he does not take offense to him he diffuses the situation he calls him friend just like Mike just said and he points out that he's not being unfair because they did what he agreed. They agreed to. They did the day's work. He told me pay him a the denarius. He's not being unfair. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't explain. He doesn't justify himself. He simply asks the question that diffuses the situation. And so it's just such a great example of how we ought to conduct ourselves. Uh, in difficult situations. This is a difficult situation in and of itself, but there's many that we're faced with, and it's a great example for us to follow. And, and so by doing what he did, he shows that uh, the the grumbling that's going on amongst these, uh, these workers that have worked all day is simply a cover for their envy and for their greed. So the point at issue is not fraud or deception. On the contrary, there wasn't anyone unfairly treated. The man kept his word. Treat being treated unequally does not equate to unfairness. I'll say that again. Being treated unequally does not equate to unfairness. If there's any one person that sacrificed here, in favor of benevolence, it was the, the landowner. He's the one that sacrificed. Uh, he would have been better off financially to have, you know, paid him only half a day's wages or a couple of hours' wages. But he didn't do that. And so he asked him, Are you envious because I am generous? And so that's how he unmasked them. He unmasked their envy and their greed. He has shown mercy. He has shown kindness. And they returned grumbling and scorn. So the lesson is this. This is how it is in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus says. Because God is so good, the principle of grace always triumphs. In God's kingdom, the... uh, Principles of merit and ability kind of are put aside so that grace prevails. it kind of flies in the face of the Jewish doctrine of merit that was, was the rule of the day during that time. The parable is not intended to teach a lesson in business practices or economics, even though I kind of I did that, I guess I'm sorry, but that's not what it's intended to do. What it's intended to teach us is God is not interested in profit. And God does not practice this tit-for-tat kind of thing, one, you know, one good deed merits another, so on and so forth. God does not circulate His grace by percentage based on what you may or may not have done. We all receive the same grace. And it's regardless of our starting point or our abilities. If if we die in a saved condition, we all receive the same grace. And I'd like to kind of another thought that came to mind too as I was thinking about this uh is uh, uh if I could tell you right now today guarantee you today that you could be the least of the least of the least of the least in heaven, would you take that we'd take that one so anyway we you know kids sing a song God is so good it 's so good to me um, I think that song captures this you know, the intent behind this, or the lesson behind behind this parable. And it tells me the reward is based on the promise that God makes, not my works. Mm-hmm. Not how hard I've worked. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, so kind of sum up what Susan said. It's based on what God's promised, not what I've done, but rather what God's promised. see Restrict. when you right, accept right, you yeah. know, that, that's kind of the way I call them yes yes Uh we all, they all received God's grace it didn't matter when they were the the, the point is that they obey not that when they obey you know? and we need to thank God that He gives us what He wants to give us and not what we deserve yes yes absolutely Absolutely. Um, So, um, kind of another... I I don't have time to elaborate on it, but what I'm reminded of in in this lesson too is uh, the older brother and the prodigal son. There's a huge lesson to learn from that situation there, and that's kind of what this 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 one encapsulates. Um, so, let me move on quickly. Uh, there was one other parable that I, that was as part of my lesson. This is lesson 10 out of our, out of our lessons. Uh, it's the parable of the unfaithful steward. This is in Luke chapter 16, verses uh, 1 through 12. It's also been called the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, and it's, thought to be kind of one of the more puzzling sort of parables, uh, and, and we could, we've been talking about work, you know, employer-employee relationships a little bit here. There, there's, you know, there's, the Bible abounds with passages that apply to that. Um, Colossians 3:22 through 25, First Timothy 6, 1 through 6, the whole book of Philemon. is is another one, you know, that comes to mind. What we recognize is that um, as a child of God, we are under a divine master. And if we expect heaven's approval, we we will never act in a way that does not take into consideration the Lord's will. I mean, that's just it. We're faithful Christians and we should and we have to be the best of the best at everything that we do. And that includes being an employee or being an employer. Our our Christianity shows, back to, to my previous supervisor who I spoke of, He's, he's just such a great example. Um, uh, it's not all, you know, I, I, I'm trying to kind of come up with my words. This is it's not always true. Or this is not always true. That, that this is not always true is obvious. And and we need to study that topic. It's obvious. We see it all around us, and so we, it's, it, it, it merits our uh, our study. Um, another another example out of Scripture, First uh, Timothy five seventeen. Another example, First Corinthians nine, where Paul's talking about the freedoms and regard and rights that we have in regard to 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 support which he had as an apostle, but instead did without. Um, So there are several Old Testament passages, it won't take time because we don't have time, uh, about charging interest. Uh, Exodus 22, 25, Leviticus 25, 35-37, Deuteronomy 23, 19-20, several others. And so there's... The law against charging interest should not be confused with the paying of interest by banks or some other establishment. And that was acknowledged by Jesus in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. He said this in verse 27, Well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. But human nature being what it is over time, certain practices to kind of come into play to enable men to kind of get around what the scripture teaches and that was that was the case in the Old testament uh, uh, for instance, uh, someone who uh, wanted to get around this, might hire someone to be his or her manager. And so when it came time to do their taxes and that sort of thing, they could kind of hide behind that. Uh, uh, the, the manager is off over here increasing the wealth, not the guy who actually had the, uh, the principal. And so, and so when it comes to light, he can just plead ignorance, you know, that sort of thing. That kind of thing took place. Um, and so uh, interest rates during that, those biblical times were significant uh, in comparison maybe to some that, that we see for instance if you borrowed wheat uh, it could be as high as 20% um, maybe even an additional 5% for what we th- think of as insurance here um, for olive oil oil it was even higher. It could be 80%. Uh, so it's significant. You know, interest rates are significant. But anyway, a manager was given a portion of trust and authority to manage that. So the parable is the manager is concerned with how he will live after he is thrown out by his master. He's worried about that. His master has turned over this amount of money or whatever it might be to increase, get him to increase it, and he's worried about that. So he comes up with this plan to reduce the debts of those who have borrowed from from the estate. And then upon his departure, he will be welcomed into their home. That's kind of the plan. So the first first owed 100 measures of oil, which was about 868 gallons or 4,000 liters. Um, A typical olive tree yielded about 120 kilograms of olives. That produced about 25 liters of oil. So you can see this is a significant amount. So this is the production of about 150 olive trees. And he reduces their bill by half. The second debtor owes 100 measures of wheat or about 1,000 bushels. And that would be the production of about 100 acres. And he reduced that by 20 measures. So that's, again, a large sum of money. And so these debtors, they, they gladly wrote out the, the, the amounts that they owed. They, they were not being dishonest about it. Uh, rather, they were indicating in their own handwriting the actual amount that had borrowed uh, and, and should repay without interest because the interest rates were lifted. And so their honesty comes to light. Their honesty prevails. And when the master reviews the books, the manager was praised because he, he acted shrewdly. And so these words of praise were given because the manager had assured the hospitality and generosity of, of the debtors. And additionally. He paved the way for whoever came behind him who could begin his work without having to deal with the uh, unlawfulness or unlawful existing accounts and the ill will of these you know these debtors. The manager changed his way, and now he was acting like an honest citizen, so very quickly, I know that 's the bail. the manager handled the money that did not belong to him the time of his dismissal came and he was facing shame and poverty but by acting shrewdly he he benefited the master's debtors and looked to them for financial help in the future he's he's trying to help himself and even though the master had reservations about this 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 uh Manager, he praised him for the business transactions that he did. And so this manager has, has gained a reputation of being, who, who had gained this reputation of being dishonest, sought approval by being charitable to the master's debtors. He, he didn't cling to worldly let, wealth, but gave it back generously. But the money he gave back wasn't his. In fact, It can be argued that the money he gave back was not even his master's to begin with. So the people should not set their hearts on worldly possessions, acting um, dishonestly for gain. We're like that manager. That's the point I want to make. We're entrusted to wealth. But this does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And Jesus in this this parable is counseling us to be generous so that that we gain God's favor Uh, and and we'll be welcomed into His house eternally. We we should use our earthly possessions for spiritual investments just as worldly people use their money for their material gains. Um, So... Anyway, more we could be, could be said. Um, thank you for your attention this morning. Like I said, uh, next week someone will be back up here to continue with the next lesson. I appreciate your attention this morning.